what they're offering, at least as it pairs with my core business, like I said, my core business is Heads and Beds, the Patterson Inn. Uh, the 420 Denver, the ability to have this lounge, to get access to the lounge will be limited to annual membership and day pass resort fee memberships due to a relationship with our accessory adjacent and accessory to zoning code terms, property, hotel, restaurant. And that's really what we're looking at. I see the lounge as a place. I think there are four joints someone will smoke when they travel. The joint, when they check in, I look forward to hosting that one, right? Before maybe your room's not ready. You're going to smoke the joint before you go to your room. The joint before dinner, certainly after dinner, before you go to bed, does the indica really help you sleep? And not so much the joint that might be the party. I can't wait to see what those business models look like. I really haven't explored many of them because my space helped steer what I was looking to do. The business I looked at 10 years ago, or at least the building I looked at 10 years ago, was steering what I was looking to do. So I think there's going to be a number of options, whether they're coffee shops or music venues. What that looks like, I don't know. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the To Be Blunt podcast. I'm your host, Shada Taravi, cannabis business owner and brand marketer. And today we're talking about marijuana hospitality licenses, what that means, what that will open up, and the future of cannabis tourism. Now, as someone who does a considerable amount of traveling in the name of cannabis, I can tell you that legalization, while opening up the legal ability to purchase cannabis, has left many gaps in what happens after I make that purchase aka where can I now consume my products safely and legally? You see, most legalization efforts thus far, and I'm talking states like California, Nevada, and Colorado, have neglected regulation around where you can consume if you don't happen to live in the legal state and therefore don't have a private residence to consume in. I should also mention, it's not so much that the states are neglecting. There's certainly a process, of course, and we know that every state operates differently. But to kind of frame it for you, Nevada is fairly newer to legalization from an adult use perspective, but has implemented on-premise consumption much faster compared to how Colorado and specifically Denver has introduced this new law. So kind of, again, going back, every state is really going to be operating differently. And until we can get some states to start to adopt these new programs, these new types of programs, uh, it's, it's really a learning experience, right? We're all trying to learn and navigate what legalization actually looks like. So Of course, when traveling, we get crafty. We sneak edibles into our rooms or hit a vape cart in the hallway or 
smoke a joint in the parking lot out back. But for most cannabis tourists, they don't realize that actually consuming on someone else's private property, like a hotel, has been, well, illegal. Colorado has been recreationally legal since 2014, and here we are some seven years later, and just last month, Denver began accepting marijuana hospitality licenses. This isn't the first state to begin to address this. Like I mentioned, um, California has a handful in West Hollywood, so they're pretty specific to where they've opened up this program. And Nevada just recently passed, so we'll begin to see those implemented as early as 2022. But of course, they have their own specific rules of where and how and why. So part of this for sure has been a gray area. I mean, personally speaking, and without throwing myself under the bus, like, yes, I've consumed cannabis in places I shouldn't have while traveling in totally legal states. I mean, what choices did I have? But alternatively, there's not a ton of enforcing. It's really inconsistent. And so people like myself included take risks because there really hasn't been another option. I also personally see the wave of this new regulation being introduced as not only a win for safe places to consume cannabis legally while as a tourist, but opening up many new types of experiences and incorporations of cannabis into the hospitality industry like coffee shops, spas, tasting rooms, and of course, hotels. In Denver, applications opened up November 10th, 2021, so just recently, and that actually happened to be the day that I was recording this episode with our guest. He was eagerly awaiting his opportunity to apply for a long-awaited license to fulfill the beginning of his dream to launch the 420 Hotels portfolio with his flagship property, the Patterson Hotel, which is located, I love this, at 420 East 11th Avenue in Denver, Colorado. So Denver business owners could apply for three different types of licenses, one being a hospitality license where customers can consume cannabis inside of the establishment, two, a hospitality and sales license where owners can offer on-site consumption and sell a small amount of cannabis, and three, mobile hospitality where owners can operate marijuana tour buses. So today's guest is Chris Chiari. He is the founder of the 420 Hotels Portfolio. And in today's discussion, we dive into the process from the idea of wanting to establish a cannabis-friendly hotel, what it took to acquire the Patterson Hotel with its infamous address, what this new legislation will allow him to fully and legally fulfill, and what cannabis tourism might start to look like as more states open up their consumption laws. I'm really excited to dive into today's conversation. We covered a lot from regulation to marketing to navigating the exciting opportunity of introducing this new type of tourism. So without further ado, let's welcome Chris to the show. My name is Chris Chiari, owner of the 420 Hotels. Uh, I got on the bus in the winter of 1991, and I haven't gotten off since. Uh, I'll give that as a year as opposed to an age. 
cannabis has been a part of my life for a, a long time. I actually was already a consumer, was also a cigarette smoker many years ago. And in the summer of 2001, I had melanoma. That whole thing, right? Watch out. What can kill you in the world? The sun is one of them. Uh, so I had a very large mole removed off my back, but was told at a very impressionable age not to make long-term plans. Wow. I really took that to heart. It was a part of a number of startups. But if you don't have a long-term time horizon, startups and the work it takes, sometimes decades in the making, you don't necessarily have the same passion for that commitment. Done a reorganization in my career. I never want to clean up someone else's mess. I, I learned that very quickly. Uh, and I had a desire to uh, be involved in policy and service. And I can't deny I've uh, run for office a, a few times down in South Florida and once here in Colorado. Ten years ago, and uh, early of 2011, I'd had over 70 moles cut off by that point. That's been the path to my longevity has been to catch them early. First one was 50 stitches. It was a 2A. Others were sometimes uh, cancerous cells that were just on the verge of turning. So getting them early was the secret. Cut them off. Uh, melanoma, you cut it off. He's still here. His 20th anniversary was this July. But 10 years ago, a doctor said, you'd cut enough off. You're ahead of it. Go make long-term plans. That's great. That was the first time in that decade someone said, think in the long term again. Not maybe five weeks later, I was in Denver, Colorado. It was March 7th of 2011. And I looked up at this abandoned building at 420 East 11th Avenue in Denver. The address was already over the door. A French chateau. It's an impressive structure. It looks like a castle. That's what I call it. And I pointed up to the house and I said, I want to turn you into a marijuana bed and breakfast. That was the plan just over 10 years and six months ago. And 10 years ago, cannabis wasn't legal anywhere. Certainly not Colorado. Cannabis hospitality wasn't legal because the window to open that license it only opens today. Literal a day in history, November 10th of 2021 is the day Denver is likely to be opening the window for the first time that a business can apply for cannabis consumption in a commercial hospitality type environment. And I'm ready for that application. We have a lot of work to go to get there still, but just navigating this, we are eight years since legalization in Colorado. We're seven years since the first dispensaries opened. And for the last seven years, the only place I could ever welcome someone not, who didn't live here to join me to smoke was in my home. Uh, I smoke in my yard. Uh, I have a favorite crab apple tree. I've had quite a few people come through because it's a celebration of the still very unique freedom around cannabis liberalization and consumption that, that's still undefined, that's still littered with, with barriers, littered with restrictions, littered with limited or no place to go. So I have a business model. It was this hotel. That was the plan then. I didn't get that property. I was beat out by two weeks. Three and a half years ago, the people that beat me to it by two weeks, well, I sold, I bought it from them. That's amazing. Uh, and have been operating for three and a half years. Now, three and a half years ago, cannabis was legal, but cannabis hospitality still, we're three and a half years later, we're still waiting for the window to open, which is today. But... I knew you don't just take over the business and, and try to add this. We had work. I had to learn my business. More importantly, I had to rezone the property. That doesn't happen overnight. It took 14 months. I've readdressed the property, adding different units and suites so that different businesses can reside in different parts of the building so that these sometimes non-complementary licenses can find a way to coexist within the nuanced zoning code that's different for every municipality. And here in Denver, we're big city, big city. So big city bureaucracy, lots of layers. 
but I can't dismiss just how helpful everyone, these professionals at these different departments, lots of people you have to touch, but they've been very engaged in, in, a, in a positive way, especially around something that for the most part, certainly a decade ago, would have still been heavily stigmatized, scrutinized. There would have been no stomach in bureaucracy to navigate what licensing businesses like this would look like. Uh, and here we are uh, on the cusp of doing just that. That's so incredible, obviously, just through your journey of dealing with cancer and and kind of shifting that timetable from not really being able to plan for the future to actually having a breadth of fresh air to invest not only your time and your money, but really into sinking into obviously the beginning of establishing a great foundation and extension of the cannabis industry. And so using that expertise that you have and you come from, I really am curious, I mean, to kind of frame it for the listeners, right? And and I share this before we were recording. I'm in Texas, but I grew up going to Colorado a lot. And so obviously Colorado tracking being the first state to open up recreation, a lot of people started flocking to Colorado. In fact, I instigated a lot of my personal family vacations and trips to going to Colorado, knowing that it was now legal for me to purchase. Kind of in contrast to that, I have family in the Netherlands, in Amsterdam, actually. My uncle uh, is an immigrant from Iran and settled in the Netherlands after the revolution. And so I also grew up going to Amsterdam and witnessing, okay, this is the coffee shop experience. Like, But you're, you're doing tourism for cannabis is kind of yeah. the point, right? And so you just you know highlight and articulated the timeline from when legalization happened at a recreational perspective to presently today, 2021. Colorado. Is it Colorado or is it just Denver that's that's working on this legislature with Colorado? So Colorado passed uh, 2019. It's been in effect for almost two years. Okay. But each municipality, municipality where strong cities have the ability then to add further regulation or to, if they already license unique businesses, marijuana being unique business, Denver has the authority then to further license. We had I-300, which was our experiment citizen initiative that pushed an open, well, it led to four applications, but it only uh, led to one business that's still open, a place called The Joint. There are, pour, pour your own Keurig, you can use vape pens, so strict limitations, but they're next door to a dispensary. And that is, that's the example of the one destination. A few people have operated for a number of years around the private club or social room model, trying to steer away from businesses that required complex licensing. I'm not sure if that holds up. And it was never something I could explore because at the end of the day, I have a nine-room hotel and a 130-year-old historic structure. And so the, the risk of, of trying to play in a gray area with an asset like that, it's not realistic. And part of where we need to mature is as we become normalized in a normal industry and a normal part of American society, American culture, which from a policy perspective, we've come a long way and are getting pretty close. Yeah, it's interesting because, again, I think when people see from a consumer perspective that marijuana is legalized and obviously not nationally, federally, but state to state, you start to see these like hubs that are developing. Las Vegas is another great example. But realizing that when legalization happened, there's a you know landslide of other laws and regulations that need to be put in place. And it's almost like an interesting, I guess, dynamic of, is it, and I'm curious what your experience is just from understanding where you're kind of currently existing from, 
Is it the state that is coming in and creating these extensions saying like, hey, we legalize marijuana. We now want to kind of amend the law and create a safe space for people to consume because, aha, we're realizing people are coming in and spending money. They're tourists. They're visiting Denver. They're visiting whatever. There's no place for them to safely consume. Or is it the industry is then driving saying, hey, we don't see this coming down the pipeline, we need to go advocate for it. We need to go lobby for it. We need to go push for new law to help cater to the evolution of the industry. One of the uh, thought processes, at least as it's been revealed to me, so I don't want to speak on behalf of, of originators of Amendment 64. That's not my place, not my right. Extraordinary group of individuals who are part of that. But they were looking to design an initiative that could pass And so they looked at all the places they could subtly sand down a sharp edge. And public consumption or smoking in bars or smoking anywhere, which would be the the dream, though unrealistic in the sense that it's an intoxicant, secondhand smoke is therefore also an intoxicant. That was the dream, but they were afraid of people. I believe they were afraid of people visualizing what that would look like in their communities. And so decriminalizing, legalizing, creating a space for patients, creating a space then for recreational consumers, these stepping stones were part of a strategy to try not to bite off more than the state and the voter populace could could chew. From day one, though, it was recognized and used by elected officials in a city like Denver, where they'd literally say, well, Amendment 64 says no public consumption. And they'd get very stern and use this as this, well, clearly nobody wanted public consumption and took that as though that was intent when no, that was design. The intent of an initiative is to change the world and create normalization around cannabis legalization. That intent was accomplished, but to get there, a sacrifice was made and nuanced around public consumption. Because to go on to define that then at the same time of retail, vertical integration, licensing, now transport, now as we move into social equity, what these stepping stones as this industry matures, I don't think anyone, I'm not, I don't think the voter populace might have been ready. I think the framers of this felt that maybe the voter populace wasn't ready. And so they made that sacrifice. They left that to be sacrificed. They chopped it off and left it for tomorrow. But tomorrow proved to be a seven-year challenge, five at the state, because policy doesn't happen overnight. Legislative bodies meet for through 120 days of the year, a set part of the year. And if other things happened, are your priorities necessarily going to move to the top when hundreds of bills are brought forward every year and billions of dollars are being allocated by a state like Colorado alone? So there's that element, that reality. So it took a minute. And then once the state had it, they still needed the city. The city still had to figure it out. And the city took, I don't want to say it took forever. We're here now. I can tell you that owning a business and having a corporate entity that took and did a change of ownership for a liquor license and now seeing what I need to do to take that liquor license and move it into a specific portion of the building is a process that has proven to be very similar to what I'm being asked to do for cannabis. So is it identical to liquor? No, my renewals are, are a whole lot thicker for the Marijuana Enforcement Division and the Excise and License Marijuana Division than they are for the state and Excise and License for my liquor license. In fact, 
One initiates at the state and trickles down for cannabis. And then for liquor, I just send in my renewal to the city and they send it up to the state and everything gets processed from there. So these, it's, I like to say this, that the fact that there's so much similarity in navigating this bureaucracy around cannabis is one of the proving grounds that we have arrived as far as public policy. But they are admitting, as I'm engaging now, as amongst the first with all these unique departments, they, they see the holes. They see the holes. I've been using maybe the recognition of some of those holes in the zoning code to structure my dream. My dream is not, like, I think everyone's dream is that cannabis and alcohol can exist in the same environment for a 21 plus responsible consumer in an environment that fosters, encourages that responsibility in communities that welcome and teach that responsibility. I think that's a future we'll get to. We're not there yet. But I do, so a little bit real quick, I own Patterson Inn. My current property is Patterson Inn, pattersonin.com. It's a nine-room property. I always ask guests if they know a difference between a bed and breakfast and a boutique hotel, and they say, no, what is it? I say the number of doilies in the rooms. <laughs> so we're a doily-free property, go by boutique hotel, but technically under 10 rooms, we're bed and breakfast. The plan for expansion that is a product of a rezoning I just got back in August, two months before these licenses or three months before the license could drop, does allow me to expand. So we are moving into an 11-room hotel, officially will become a boutique hotel. Then I'm unpacking a box of doilies overnight. Bring them in. Now, we'll stay, we'll stay doily-free, but we'll become a boutique hotel and then I currently have a liquor license with live entertainment, a restaurant, and hotel. Purchased them as a package, and I'm in the process now of moving them into separate corporate entities. Because in most municipal jurisdictions, ownership of corporations is not who owns it. Is, you've got to reveal it. But it doesn't matter who owns it. It's are they separated from each other when they cannot be together? And so licenses that do not complement can't then be in the same company. And then you have issues around what can exist side by side with, what can you move in between. And so all of this very subtle detail in a zoning code has emerged on my project because I'm not just trying to be a hotel restaurant with a cannabis consumption lounge attached. I'm trying to be a hotel restaurant with a cannabis consumption lounge attached, but on the other wing of the property keep and maintain a tavern and a bar I already have so that they won't be together and overlapping, but side by side in separate wings in the property, both associated with this hotel restaurant in the middle, we now have a path to, in this 12,000 square foot property, deliver not an idea about what cannabis hospitality looks like, but execute a plan and, and deliver cannabis hospitality for a 21 plus adult who will make decisions to move between these two different choices at their will. And that is, that's the goal. That's what I'm trying to get to. I think what we're all trying to get to, it's no more normal than when they at right. least both live at the same address. No, I couldn't agree more. And I, I'm grateful to hear, obviously, you outlined all the work that goes into it. I don't want to discredit that it definitely takes an undertaking to have the desire and the intent to not only like have this dream, but to then go actually put it into practice. And now my brain is swirling with like so many questions. I'm like, which one do I ask him next? But <laughs> I guess kind of in that vein, and then I want to get to some of the other questions I have because it kind of like flows into the thought process. But 
So obviously it has to go through the policy. Let's just kind of like table that. That's part of dealing with laws in general and introducing new laws, cannabis being no exception to the process, which could take anywhere from, let's say a year to multiple years, right? And we're experiencing that here in Texas as well with just different, we're a two-year state. (laughs) So if you didn't get something in two years. Right. With a legislature that does budget one year and then policy the next year and then waits and does budget the following year and then waits and does policy the next year. So, right, you miss a window on policy right. two years out in Texas till you get another shot at it. Well, and like you said, too, it's what's the priority. And so then what is the state actually looking at, which we think from a cannabis perspective, like, oh my gosh, these are so pressing. Like we just want legalization, <laughs> but the state's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like maybe we have a border to deal with or like other aspects. And, and so it's just- to keep full in Texas is- <sighs> That's know, very like, true. The big, the big brother to Louisiana, a state that you know has really turned uh, prison beds into an enterprise that's lucrative. It's very true. And well, their their money is focused elsewhere. To where I think sometimes people are like, well, doesn't Texas see the money? It's like, yeah, Texas is making their money in other ways, so they're not really quite focused on cannabis. But you know, that aside, going back to kind of the idea though of obviously these are no brainers. You legalize cannabis, then like, where are people going to consume? So I kind of want to understand from your perspective, like what is the current law now? What does that look like? Playing devil's advocate, I fly to Denver. I'm staying in a hotel. Legally, what am I to do if I go to a dispensary? From my understanding, you can consume on private property. So if I happen to have a friend, I could go maybe consume at their place. But kind of what is the current law structure look like for, because I don't think people really realize it's kind of like we always look the other way, especially here in Austin, marijuana is at least decriminalized. And so it's like, people know they're breaking the law, but it's decriminalized. So (laughs) obviously you go to Denver, it's like, well, it's just a vape. I'm not making a ton of smoke or if I'm eating an edible while I'm walking through Target, is that really me breaking the law? But you know, you help plug those holes up for us a little bit, please. (laughs) You've got it. All crime um, is crime at enforcement, not at commitment. So that's an important nuance. Have we seen Denver police chasing people down the sidewalk to bust them for smoking cannabis? I'm not aware of a high volume of that. So there's that reality. Now, does it make it legal? Is it our best representation as a cannabis community? For sure. You've got it. Get off the airplane, come to Denver, go to a dispensary. And there is no place to smoke it, but for at your friend's house, house, because if it's your friend's apartment or even your friend's condo, the apartment manager or the condo association can have banned the smoking, even now cigarettes sometimes on communal spaces like patios because the way it blows into the next neighbor's place. Can't always stop your use inside your unit only when it bleeds out into and affects others. So yeah, no, you can't smoke in the sidewalk, can't smoke in the park, certainly shouldn't be smoking and driving your car. So, right? Never me ever before when I'm in Denver. So those realities exist. So no, there's no place. Like I said, there's a couple clubs that have popped up that that are trying to do the membership model very much like Utah does with alcohol. It's questionable whether or not it holds up. It's certainly questionable whether or not you can tax it, license it, do commerce, whether it's food or beverage or anything else, because there's no associated commercial business license. You want to host people to come hang out in your commercial space in the backyard. Cool. But where is your business there is still now the next question. For sure. No, that definitely obviously creates a further gray area, which is kind of just 
prevalent in cannabis in general. There's so many great areas. And you kind of hit it too by talking about commerce. Obviously, as a business owner, you want to be able, I mean, you don't want to be able to, you have to do things by the law if you want to be a public facing good standard, you're paying your taxes, you're a citizen of the community. Have licenses that are unique to do business and commerce in a city. So obviously you want to uphold those. You want to do things the right way. And so helping influence the politics and policy is so integral, but Mm -hmm. also playing the cards for which the state is dealing is also kind of the path that you have to go down. And so you mentioned obviously establishing your boutique hotel from this perspective of also presenting it as allowing adults to make adult decisions. If I can legally as an adult go buy cannabis at 21 plus, and if I can legally as an adult go buy alcohol, why is there so much tension around mixing it with other things like alcohol and cannabis? It sounds like from what you were expressing, the law is a little bit like separating the two based on who's owning what. And I only bring this up too, because Nevada with their consumption laws, they're not allowed to have them near the casinos, which again, obviously you're like, it's like you can legalize cannabis, you can do cannabis, but it has to be over there. It has to be separated from the property. And so if we're trying to create a world where there is true cannabis tourism, to me, it has to be also accessible to the tourist. And so why separate these two and kind of how has that experience gone for you? Because it takes a minute to get there. And then you have to ask, are we treating this like cigarettes? No. Are we treating this like tomatoes? Absolutely not. Are we treating this like micro brew? Okay, somewhat. Now we have room for tasting rooms. Are we treating this like vice, like nudity? That's Mm -hmm. usually around and around in the corner of town in the old industrial section because it was far enough away from schools. So what are we treating it as? I don't think we're treating it as worse as the last category, but I don't think we're quite treating it like bars yet. But it gets down to what I said before, the process to just get here. It occurs within Mm -hmm. this government process that doesn't happen overnight and based on priorities and something could get moved today and then get pushed back. And then someone asks a question because in a policy standpoint or an elected official that doesn't like it can lead another study or cause another pause. I don't, I get why they want to keep it away from alcohol and why we have to take this stepping stone of letting them exist, exist separately. Same way, like right now you can't drink usually in a hookah, but you can drink in a cigar bar, right? And that's not in every jurisdiction, but some jurisdictions let you drink in a cigar bar. Right. So, so we have that side. So I think we'll get there. We're still moving there. But the alcohol side is the concern around what cross-intoxication looks like. We have an entire industry around the safe service of food and beverage where you specialize in both the training and the knowledge base and do different things as you engage in ID check or keep customers safe from themselves and from establishments that are serving these products. What does it mean to bring those two together? We're not there yet. Now, that compliance is all going to come along. Those types of education courses exist in all of those spaces. These education courses now exist in cannabis for cannabis compliance. So I think that'll also then transition into figuring out how to move adult alcoholic beverages into that same space, but we're not there yet. So the fear of keeping them separate is we don't know what that cross intoxication looks like, but I'm willing to move along and do that because I know we're still proving just how relatively benign cannabis as an intoxicant 
can be in the larger community. My biggest burden, I'm going to say it's my biggest burden for the last three and a half years is having a hotel with the address 420. Property's 420. It's the inspiration of the name. It's the 420 hotels. The first location is the 420 Denver. Have.com IP wrapped up for 50 cities in America and around the world, all the 420 location. A vision is at least 12 to 15, kind of like Soho House, never looking to be the biggest thing on the block, never looking to be the Reef of Ramada or the Comfort Inn for cannabis, but am looking to be a four-star destination that does allow at a higher price point, a sophisticated space, both to sleep. We already offer a bed you don't want to get out of, breakfast you don't want to sleep in on, and very shortly we'll offer as a unique amenity, a place to go where you can make these legal decisions, not look over your shoulder. But ready for this? I can't let you smoke in your room. Not because I don't want, well, I partly don't want you to. The house is 130 years old. But I can't let you smoke in the room because a common cannabis consumption area under the hospitality rules has to be barred. You have to bar guest access from 2 a.m. to 7 a.m. And I laughed when I first heard that. I said, well, that's kind of core to the overnight business, so that's not going to work. But you can consume edibles in your room. That's private use of your space. You can use the bathtub in your hotel to do a bath bomb, though the team gets mad the next day because we have these oily residues that we clean up. But we're finding solutions to make that less tedious. We know. And and, uh, as a team, I I cannot, from a human resources standpoint, ask anyone where they stand on very important things to me, like cannabis or my view on policy and politics. I can't and I don't, and I would never disrespect an employee that way. I do share some of the core philosophy of the house because I've never wanted any of my team members to wake up one day and find out I'm applying for a license like this and then not have a personal comfort zone being associated. Hello, just want to take a quick moment to thank my sponsor and full disclosure, my company, Restart CBD. Restart CBD is a brand that I built with my sister, so we are family-owned and women-owned. We do operate a brick and mortar in Austin, so if you ever find yourself in Central Texas, we'd love for you to come say hi. But we also ship nationwide, and we carry a wide range of CBD products We really care about this plant. We really care about educating our customers. This show would not be possible without their support. So please go check us out at restartcbd.com and use code TOBEBLUNT for $5 off your next purchase. Thanks, and let's go back to the show. No, that makes total sense, and that was going to be another question I had, but you answered a lot of it, but I'm sure there's more to kind of share. I am curious, knowing that every law varies from state to state, so I'm sure the consumption law in Colorado and and being adopted in Denver is different than perhaps what Nevada and Las Vegas are going through. And without a lot of understanding, because this isn't super popular, I think right now, from my understanding, there's only a couple of states that have actually embarked on this process, but very few have mastered the execution of it, I think, and the total adoption of it. So kind of going back to uniquely what your experience is, what does this consumption law say? And today you're mentioning you're having the opportunity to apply for it. When you get awarded it, what does that now allow your business to do? 
And kind of a secondary follow-up to that is, and you kind of touched on it a little bit, and I'm curious, using, let's say, craft brew, you're able to do a tasting room versus just, like it's an experience, right? You're able to walk people through, here's different whiskeys, here's different beers, here's a cheese pairing, here's all this accoutrement associated to consuming. Maybe you're able to sell on the property. Can you have brand partnerships? Can you bring in brands, new on-premise consumption? Or is it just, here's a designated lounge space, not to de-glamorize it, but here's a designated lounge space. You cannot smoke in your room for X, Y, Z, whatever reason. Maybe that's your preference. Maybe that's what the law actually is saying, but you can go smoke over here. So is it really just to create designated spaces for people to consume? Or does it also open up the possibility for more experiential events and things like that? What they're offering, at least as it pairs with my core business, like I said, my core business is Heads and Beds, the Patterson Inn, uh, the 420 Denver, the ability to have this lounge, to get access to the lounge will be limited to annual membership and day pass resort fee memberships due to a relationship with our accessory, adjacent and accessory to zoning code terms, property, hotel, restaurant. And that's really what we're looking at. I see the lounge as a place I think there are four joints someone will smoke when they travel. The joint when they check in, I look forward to hosting that one, right? Before maybe your room's not ready. You're going to smoke the joint before you go to your room. The joint before dinner, certainly after dinner. Before you go to bed, does the indica really help you sleep? And not so much the joint that might be the party. I can't wait to see what those business models look like. I really haven't explored many of them because my space helped steer what I was looking to do. The business I looked at 10 years ago, or at least the building I looked at 10 years ago, was steering what I was looking to do. So I think there's going to be a number of options, whether they're coffee shops or music venues. What that looks like, I don't know. I probably could take 10 minutes and map out some ideas, but honestly, I'm wrapped on a building that I fell in love with, the Patterson. I fell in love with it. I tried to, like I said, buy it 10 years ago. I didn't get it. But when I walked away from it, I was impressed enough to leave with this image. Mm. You see, um, what I'm holding up right now is a bicycle playing card. And on it is my brand that I created a decade ago. It's the king of clubs holding a bong. I love it. Marijuana in his crown and in his lapel. It was an experiment in phenomenology and old school of marketing that if you can get someone's eye to move through an image multiple times, if you can put imagery on the periphery of geography or experience, culture, that looking at it and asking what its purpose is or meaning begins to define it. And so I was fascinated by this idea for a bunch of different reasons. Shepard Ferry is one of them. Shepard Ferry used the Andre the Giant image to create recognizable branding around his culture, which was, was a, he was a criminal, he was a skater. And he'd come into town, pull out his skateboard, be instantly credible. But that branding ultimately built Obey Clothing certainly something of merit. For me, it was lifestyle. This image is the king of quality because the Patterson Inn, I don't know if you've seen a picture of the house, but it looks like a castle. It does. Um, The corporation that owns the hotel is called Castle of Quality. I like to say it's the home of the king of quality. Uh, So this became my work. It's been a decade. I came up with this image a decade ago because I wanted to start, if I said broccoli, you said type conversation with anyone about cannabis. And from older people that would yell at me for a few minutes with their lifetime of experience until they, one lady in particular, she was in her late 80s, she started laughing after yelling at me for five minutes. I said, what's so funny? 
She said, when did they make that illegal? I said, 1929. She said, I walked in on my grandmother when I was seven years old smoking that stuff back when it was legal. And that chest ability to think back to someone she revered who was engaging with this, how can it be so bad? And that conversation started because I gave her the playing card. Chest as well, I gave it to someone in Tahiti on a lap around the world, got pulled behind an alley behind a building, and someone handed me a gram of weed for giving them a three-cent plane. So it was also a way to engage in that conversation. Multi-time, multi-state failed political candidate, but at one time I was just a single-state, multi-time failed political candidate that loved policy, that in my life predominantly was a cannabis consumer, but never shared that, hid that. We didn't talk about that. The stigma, especially if you're running for office going back a decade plus, still was carried that if you, you could advocate for it, but you could not be associated with consuming it. I actually ran for city council in Denver really to counter from the campaign, the one Republican in that race who was running on a very anti-cannabis message. Mm. And I wanted to make sure his message was countered right there at the seat. But one of my opponents in that race called up thousands of voters and said, he's in the cannabis industry. At that time, as of now, I'm, I've been badged in the Colorado cannabis industry now into my sixth year. I've held an owner's badge in the regulated Colorado cannabis industry. He's in the cannabis industry. And people would say, oh, I don't care. But if he literally told them that he smokes pot, mm. hundreds of voters swore they would never vote for me. And that was six years ago. Not today. Maybe we've come a little further. But that was after legalization. That was after a majority of the voters in this city had voted in support of legalization. They were comfortable with the industry, but they were not comfortable with consumption. So that's, that's another reason, going back to before, why didn't it happen right away? I think we're further along. The community support I need is there at the moment. Nobody has jumped up to say no yet, though that process will really formally start once my application is in. I think we're ready. What that party's place looks like and how it impacts neighborhoods, that's a question that's unanswered. What I'm trying to do is, again, something intimate, something private, something built around lifestyle, built around experience, built around intimacy, this old historic space. The lounge is only a 1,000 square feet for 40 people. You're going to have intimate booths, but a place that you don't have to look over your shoulder, that you might strike up a conversation about what are you smoking? Where did you get it? What I enjoy is because of my address, we already get it. People will check in and say, oh, I noticed the address. Can I ask you a question? Where to go? Where to buy? What to do? What can I do? That, that, we, I, you're going to come in knowing that you can ask us a question at the front desk of the 420 Hotels properties anywhere, regardless of where they are. And you can ask a question and get good information because we still have all the stigma because we still have only a handful, West Hollywood, so California with West Hollywood, Nevada with Las Vegas, but not implemented yet. Illinois, but not yet Chicago. They haven't figured it out yet. Colorado and Denver. These are specific states that have local jurisdictions that have gone on to make specific paths to licensing for these businesses. And that's about as close as we've gotten so far. But that's how still on the forefront this topic is. I laugh today. Uh, today feels like April 22nd of 1889. Boomers and Sooners waiting for a cannon. Sooners so they could come out of their holes they were hiding in and say, look at me, I got the land. And the boomers who were sitting there waiting to go. 
It's really remarkable to see, obviously, your excitement around it and also knowing a little bit without obviously being in your shoes of just the the amount of effort that goes into navigating these waters. Mm-hmm. And also, it's really inspiring to hear just your ideation of the type of space you're trying to create both with the Patterson Hotel as well as all your properties under the 420 group. Because I think when you were talking about the stigma around being in the cannabis industry, but being called a consumer of cannabis, like there's obviously a deficit between the two. I think sometimes people separate them for some reason. Although obviously I personally think it's a little bit more like, of course, like, of course I consume cannabis. I work in cannabis, I consume cannabis. So it's a no brainer for me, but I think there is something to say about people's perception, right? And how they perceive what you're doing and to what extent it has on their belief of of that particular product, idea, expression, history, some story they've heard, some movie they saw. And so to kind of bring it out into the light, it's like obviously a business opportunity to be able to create this space and, and do commerce around it, but also just the true experience of being able to comfortably go somewhere as a cannabis consumer and know that I won't be judged, know that I'll be celebrated, know that I can learn from people who are equally passengers traveling through the world and happen to be here in the same space and time. And and it is a little bit like, ah, like why don't we have this yet? Like it was almost so fascinating to me when I first realized that we didn't actually have consumption lounges, but I think there's a lot of things like that. Like I know Denver in particular, I you might need to help correct me, but Denver, I think just now has legalized delivery. Although yes, prior, yeah, prior to- only one company that can deliver and you can't order delivery to be delivered to a hotel. Mm. But- the lounge has its own address. It's 420 East 11th Avenue, Suite 420. And 420 East 11th Avenue, Suite 420 is not a hotel. It's a hospitality, food and beverage, licensed cannabis consumption lounge. And so far, they haven't said that those can't get delivery. So, Well, that's good for you. Why I'm leaning towards a com- – my preference is there are two models, a consumption-only model where guests bring their own mm-hmm. or a sales model where the establishment will sell similar to a bar – either pre-rolled half gram joints, dabs at a tenth of a, of a milligram portions or of edibles in single or no more than two bite type concepts. Can't be fresh baked still. It's still items that will have to come from the regulated marijuana industry. That model points you more towards being a dispensary inside of a, another type of business, which is not my goal. For me, my goal is let people bring their own, consume their own, explore what Denver with the greater Metro is doing around legalization. I think that's a relevant experiential based amenity that is relevant for five, eight, maybe 10 more years because I've lived here in Colorado for coming up on nine years. I've smoked in my backyard for eight and a half and I still enjoy the thrill of not having to hide it. You know, that was, you mentioned criminal, where, where cannabis normalization spilled over. This is a transformative moment in American politics around cannabis 
because of what it's done to change conversation around criminal justice reform. The, the, I made a film called Public Enemy Number mm-hmm. One, executive produced with Ice-T. It's on Amazon Prime, but you have to rent it. We're also on Tubi and Pluto for free. The film's about the war on drugs. And there's no question what was a racial motivation to diminish, to, to leave individuals targeted in our society with blemishes on their records that would leave them unable to participate in other elements of complicated bureaucracy because criminal records bar you from even entering some of these processes sometimes. And what we're seeing and hopefully realizing around reforms and changes around prisons, around drug crimes, around drug as public health, not civil crime or public crime, it's, that's, that's what I think is the most transformative. And then to be able to give people the ability, still traveling from other states, a space where they could have that realization, wait, this is new. Oh, wait, I can't do this in other places. But we can now have that conversation in a place where they can, captive audience. We now know they're consuming. We can help people make better decisions. All of this, this type of a movement towards maturity in the market is another chance. I come at this from, I'm the deputy director of Colorado Normal. National Organization for the Reform Marijuana Laws, been engaged in the policy now and on the board for eight and a half years. Um, I come from the 21 plus adult recreational consumer, though we work very closely with our, with our friends and allies in the patient community that sometimes share different needs or interests. More importantly, come from consumer advocacy, which is not always business. And even with what I'm doing here, it's not a business geared towards cannabis from production, distribution, It's a business specifically towards what does access for an adult, legal, legal adult, what does that look like? And what does that space look like? So this is is 10 years in the making to even have the chance to have the privilege. I see these licenses as privileges, partially because of how challenging they are, but also we have to be willing to do best practices. We have to be willing to set standards. Like I said, sucks having an address 420 because everybody wants to smoke. And I can't let them. And an adult will respect right away when I tell them, look, here's what I'm doing. Here's where I'm getting to. Here's where I am in that process. I've been talking about this for three and a half years with my guests, really wanting to see who would I lose, who would I keep. And the guests I already have, uh, I'm I'm a premium hotel. We're not a low price entry price point hotel. We we charge well over $200 a night in the off season and well over $300 a night in the on season. And in those prices are likely to go up, not come down, but match that with amenity from the comfort to the warmth, to the breakfast, to the happy hour. And now hope to add to that this last chapter, this last piece, um, because I know this crowd, they'll go home influenced by it. They'll go home affected by what legalization really does mean. Uh, And that transformation in other places has also been directly influenced by the experiment that Colorado initiated. You're definitely leading by example, right? I think your years contributing to helping make change, and it's something I often talk a lot about on this podcast, is being proactive versus reactive. And a lot of people want things obviously much faster and much easier than the current process might allow for, but it really is rewarding. And when you talk about it being a privilege, I really respect 
where you're existing from, because unfortunately, not everybody who's trying to be in cannabis or is currently in the industry, I think, is approaching it from that same perspective. And I do believe that it is an opportunity and an ownership of those of us in the industry. We sell to some extent if you're on the selling side, but ultimately you're around creating the experience for a consumer, right? We sell consumer packaged goods. And that sometimes gets lost in translation when we are fighting or advocating or existing in this industry. And so it sounds to me that you always try to keep it at the forefront of, yes, this is the current law, but I'm going to play to it and also try to help change it. Right. And so it's playing with the process and helping influence it. But I, I won't, I don't want to take more credit than I'm due from the policy side. I will admit I was part of one of the citizen initiatives in Denver. I 300 was the successful one. And, and I supported it the first day that the other initiative moved back or withdrew. It was great policy. Uh, some of the principles of that are gifts to this community and this space around the work they've done on policy. Some of the nuance around what ultimately happened in Denver about how far did you have to be from a location? What type of zoning did you need? All of this stuff was debated over many years in some rulemaking committees. I was focused on running a hotel. Uh, I was also focused on running a hotel through COVID, which was a challenge. We were shut down for a couple months, found a way to take care of the team, to keep the doors open, to refinance the property in a pandemic not two months ago to make sure that I still was in position for this once in a lifetime opportunity to proceed. Yeah, it's... uh, I appreciate the transparency. I understand what you're trying to say. I think it's worth remarking though and acknowledging your position, obviously being a part of organizations like Colorado's Normal. I, I don't think those things should go unnoticed or obviously even speaking up from a platform like to be on a podcast, to do, you know, media. Yes, it's exposure for... The projects you're working on, but it's also, I think, a megaphone to speak at the larger, I don't want to say challenges, but just like the realities of cannabis that I really don't think people realize, like a consumer putting my hat on from when I was just Shada going to Denver and like taking a family vacation to like go buy legal weed. I wasn't thinking through, oh, is there a consumption lounge? Why isn't there a consumption lounge? Or why can I only buy so much cannabis? Why is there a limit? Or I remember when Colorado first legalized there was a big scare because you'd go into the dispensaries and they'd want to like scan your ID (laughs) and you're like, Oh my God, am I going into the system? But like, okay, fuck it. I'm getting weed. So who cares? (laughs) But I just don't think consumers really realize all this work that goes into creating the environment for consumption, (laughs) right? Whether it's the product or the amount of product, or I know like Colorado was also potentially working on capping concentrates, which Mm -hmm. is a whole other conversation, but you know, when you get down to it, it is the safety of the consumer. You know, why some, I argue sometimes why there are such strong products on the marketplace, because it's just, you, you Those have products come down to purity, very engaged in 1317, which was from Colorado Normal's perspective against that bill and worked hard to make sure that they didn't cut concentrates. And I use that term cut because if we're talking about purity and refining processes that get us to a greater sense of purity, how do we then get back to your impure standard? Right. What do we need to do to alter this now to satisfy your regulatory standard? And we did that with vitamin E. I say we collectively, the cannabis community, right. think, oh, wow, this is great. It's harmless. You can eat it, it. Right. It's good for your body. And oh, no. 
And so that was my argument that we exist in this space now of, from consumer responsibility of making sure that policy with the best interest and safety of the people in the state around you is the priority doesn't then turn cannabis consumers into guinea pigs without be, without regard or concern to what the long-term effect or impact could be to putting cuts or contaminants or impurities or cutting agents into these products to lower their purity. No, that's a very real and fair perspective to point out because I do think, again, people don't acknowledge sometimes there are trade-offs, unfortunately, when we are fighting and advocating for things at a policy and regulatory rulemaking level. And like in Texas, kind of the trade-off of that right is we don't have a legal market, but the products that we do have legal, the state's trying to obviously pull. And it's like, we if you pull it, it's going to go into the black market. And why don't you just legalize it so that you can regulate it? Like, I don't think anybody's anti-regulation. We just obviously want legality to open up so that we can comfortably purchase products and not feel like we are criminals committing crimes. And so that's the weird, again, I think space that most people still love love going to the store, still love coming out (laughs) of the store, still enjoy it eight years in this. The freedom of it. And I always call a friend back East. Ha ha. Guess what I just did. <laughs> I'm buying legal weed. I know it's uh... a story with an ounce of the best cannabis I've ever yeah. found. That was strain specific. That was experience specific. Had a conversation at the counter about what I liked and what they had. I walked out with expectation around what that experience could be. Expectation about what that quality should be. Have confidence in that quality because of the layers of state regulation and the testing we do. The fact that we don't have mold on products that are on the shelves, and when it's found, these products are removed. I it's and 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 there's still so much further to go because we have a future in front of us that includes import export, a future that includes reciprocity for medical patients, state to state, as they then engage in these either tax-free markets or markets that allow higher concentrate volumes, or RSO then becomes something you only find in a medical market but then reciprocity becomes important for someone traveling for medical cannabis. So that's, and that's nuance. All that's going to come down to policy, but we could lose as many fights before these wins as we could win. And even with 70 plus percent of the national public now in favor of cannabis legalization, we still do not have federal recognition. We still have banking issues. We still have concerns around nuance in the tax code around what is or isn't a deduction because of the fact that we're engaged in this other business. It's important for me to touch the plant without touching the plant. I don't so much see this as Levi's, jeans, pick and wheelbarrow. I don't see that with the hotel. I think that's the bong and pipe space. That's the paper. That's the clothing and culture space. But I do think we're building a railroad here, building, if maybe, if not a tunnel that gets you to that next place that bridges between commerce now and culture with a place to sleep in between. I don't disagree. And I'm very excited for your future. I know today is a big day. So I wish you so much luck and success. Although you don't need it. You're very prepared. You've done the hard work. You've arrived at this moment. And I'm just grateful to get a chance to sit down with you, learn a little bit more about your experience, as well as your hopes and dreams for what the future of cannabis can look like, not just for you and your team, but really for all of us as cannabis lovers to be able to exist in a space where we can comfortably consume this plant that we love and enjoy ourselves along the process. So is there anything final that you want to share with the listener? 
keep an eye out the 420hotels.com website's pretty basic right now but it's going to mature pretty quickly we are under contract i just haven't announced with who yet to do a crowdfund public campaign end of this year into the start of next year i have all the merch design so i'm excited to show that to everyone please watch my film public enemy number one Please come stay at PattersonInn.com if you can control yourself for the next eight or nine months that it's going to take to get through an application process and a build out. Come see what we're doing and stay there while we're doing it and then come back when I can literally say you can smoke that here. I cannot wait. That is a, a welcome, like the sign leading into New Orleans that says welcome, but in French, and I can't think of the word right now. This, this place to, to, to engage and come in. I'm going to real quick. There is a future. It's not one location. It's meant to be a few. This will never be the largest. It's always going to be the smallest. Patterson Inn is our keystone where these unique licenses for the first time are being merged or brought as accessory and adjacent, zoning words again, to hotel restaurant. Look forward to all those other models. Look forward to other hotel concepts and look forward to being an option at a boutique four-star level for that targeted particular business professional, adult couples that are traveling, making decisions to buy legal cannabis, cannot find a place to legally consume it because there isn't one. You're going to have an option very, very soon. And I look forward to offering that option at the 420 Hotels. I am so excited to see how this unfolds. Of course, to be able to stay at a cannabis-friendly hotel is one easement of this whole thing. But what I'm mostly looking forward to seeing is the creativity that comes with these opportunities opening up. To me, to be able to incorporate a lot of the same experiences that the, let's say, alcohol industry does with, for example, tasting rooms or vineyard tours, I expect to see similarly marketed opportunities to begin to open up in this industry as well. Yes, it seems and feels like it's taken a long time for the evolution of these laws, but like Chris has expressed, it's a part in understanding that this is a new industry and these lawmakers are trying to tread with caution as they open things up. And it may seem long-winded, but learning to play the game the way it is established is not only going to prepare you for the long haul, but will also enable you to navigate things based on the limited information available. I don't know how things are netting out for Chris and the other applicants just yet. I believe they are still waiting to hear back how things are going to turn out. But you better believe I'll be the first in line at the Patterson Hotel once things are up and running with their consumption lounge. And I look forward to many other creative ways people are looking to bring cannabis into their businesses and marketing efforts. So what are your thoughts on the future of cannabis tourism, hospitality, and experiential events? Please connect with me on social media at The Shade of or at To Be Blunt Pod and let's discuss. So thanks again for tuning in. I'll be back next Monday with another episode. Hope you guys have a good one. Bye, y'all. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadatarabi.com slash tobeblunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadatarabi.com. 